0: Welcome to Electronically Yours with Martin Wang. It's Martin here, Electronically Yours, as I am every week. Today's guest is a very familiar name, Adamski, and the reason why you know him so well is almost certainly because of his fantastic number one hit in multiple territories, Killer with Seal, and it was Seal's big breakthrough as well. He's a charming guy, Uh, was there at the very inception of rave music and Acid House music, and um, has maintained a presence ever since. And here he is, the man himself, Adamski. So tell us about how
1: you started. Well... Funnily enough, I don't know if you know, but we were label mates when I was 11. Oh, on Fast Products.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I didn't know until I, I did my research and I'm going, you're fucking kidding, aren't you? I, mean, I,
1: I, I forgot when Lee set this up, but then I remembered, yes, that was, um, I was so excited when I was 11 to get on to Fast Product. That's amazing. What was the name of the band, for
0: those who Studio don't know? Stupid Babies. Stupid Babies. That must have been one of the last
1: things they put out, was it? I guess. They didn't put that many things out, did they? Only about no, no, 15 no. things. or No. So... But that's...
0: So you were 11? Yeah. Insane. I know. So how
1: did you actually get to record that? I mean, what... Well, I just... I had a little uh, cassette recorder from Tesco <laughs> uh, for Christmas or something, and um, and I just recorded. I was kind of envious of my big brother being at big school and being able to be in punk bands and stuff, and uh, so I just recorded my little brother. Just made up tunes on a cassette, and, on a cassette, and I sent the cassette to Fast Product, and they sent back a contract. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know until years later that Bob last was your manager, and yeah, all that yeah, kind of thing. Um, so what year was that? 79, 80? 79, yeah,
0: 79.
1: that's fucking awesome. Have, have you um bumped into Bob since then? I did. I met him in. I was in LA in 1990, recording, and he came and said hello in the studio. Right. It was quite brief. Um, well, I put my my um,
0: autobiography out last year, and and because um, he's featured quite heavily in it, right? Uh, um, and um, so I he contacted me and said. Something to the effect of I think you've been a little bit unfair on me in the way that you described the human leaf split and all this stuff. I'm going, hmm. that is how it happened, Bob. I don't know if you've really written history here, but and I've got witnesses. So um anyway, we've always been good mates. So he turned up at the uh, this book signing in Edinburgh that I was doing, and we reconnected, which is very nice. And I had this kind of devil on my shoulder idea going. Hmm. I was talking to him before the actual signing, and uh, I said because I was meant to do a reading from the from the book, and I said to him, "I'd written the actual split meeting as a kind of script almost." I said, "Would you read your part for the audience <laughs> of the actual?" <laughs> and right. he, uh, God bless him, he agreed to do it. So uh, it was very. Ah. It's on. It's on. It's on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> anyway,
1: we're reconnected now. He's such a lovely lad. I'd love to I'd love his email if that's yeah, a, yeah. after this. I'll I'll he, send it to. Does he still curate music for movies and stuff? He does uh he does that. He's
0: also kind of heavily involved in the kind of movie world in general. So I think he together with some other investors have bought some huge kind of warehouse type industrial space in in um in or near Edinburgh and it, they're going to turn it to a sound, straight, sound sound stage, you know, for film. Uh, okay. Um, and uh, he's, he's involved at quite a high level with kind of finance for films and stuff like that. So I don't fucking know. I mean, hmm. you know, he's a man, an
1: international man of mystery, you know. Okay. Um, well, I'd I'll love see, to... Um, yeah, it, it, we'll, we'll do that. Yeah. It's kind of my mission to get I mean, I did, uh, it came out last year, but I did it before the pandemic. I did some music for um, Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren's son's movie called wow. Wake Up Punk. So it's my first foray into doing some music for a film, even though I've been talking about it for like three decades. I find Yeah. It-
0: me wow. too, and I've never had a chance to do it myself. I'm always hammering
1: on about it. Everybody who listens to the podcast must be sick of me. Apparently, um, you have to hang out in LA and sort of schmooze people and stuff. I'm really I terrible at that shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway,
0: um, so let's go back to the, you know, the, you know, you're you're doing pretty well at this stage. So you did a cover of a. Um,
1: you did a cover of an X-Ray Specs song, didn't you, in 88. Oh, yeah. I did that in uh, 87, just before 87. I kind of turned to damski. I had a band called Discord Dacord. Oh, that's which, nice. Which was kind of the best way to describe it would be kind of, <laughs> and probably I'm um, wishful thinking, but kind of Beastie Boys meet Zig Zig Sputnik. That was kind of the sort of yeah, idea, yeah. anyway. Yeah. We had uh, my brother, who I think you've met for some reason. He's called Mark, and I think think we might have kind of done something together. He he um, he's been in Glenn Gregory's aeroplane, and uh, he he hasn't got an aeroplane. Has he not?
0: No. Does he fly? No. Oh. He's talking about Gary Newman. Yeah, but No, Glenn he... most certainly hasn't got an
1: airplane. I can, okay. I, can I can confirm that. <laughs> All right. Well he okay, maybe he's been in Gary Newman's aeroplane and he did do something with Glenn. Yeah. Um uh who uh Funnily enough, Glenn's ex-missus. Yeah, Sarah. Sarah, who's responsible for
0: that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, she she did my makeup when I was on the the face magazine. She did my makeup and I asked her for advice on how to get rid of blackheads. And I think I misunderstood and she told me to boil my nose. But I think she meant, I don't know what she meant, but I <laughs> I put my nose in boiling no, water no. and and then rubbed it with a flannel and uh, I had just like this red, raw nose. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, oh. yeah, so you
0: got no blackheads, but you also got no skin. Yeah, <laughs> well got no nose.
1: <laughs> my dog's got no nose. <laughs> yeah, how does it smell Terry? Oh, yeah. Um uh yeah, um so uh well yeah my brother Mark anyway, I think he said he's met you, but this is years ago, around the time I met you with Mark Jones. Yeah. I think yeah. I must have said that I'd met you and he said, Oh. Uh, my brother used to do the sound for Duran Duran. Well, he was Nick Rhodes' keyboard tech. Oh, right, okay. Like, underneath him, under the stage, loading samples and doing stuff. And then he he co-produced Dandy Warhols with him and really? some other stuff. But now he runs a music shop in Glastonbury town. Oh, cool. But his Wife's really ill with cancer. Oh, so I'm, so I'm sorry. not really doing that. It's not doing much apart from caring for her. Listen, but, um, we're getting to that age. A lot of our friends are starting to drop off the tree now, aren't they? Yeah. But anyway, we anyway. band, discord. Um, with this other guy, uh Johnny Slut. Him and I were singing. And we used to, uh, we had Wendy houses on stage and we used to take turns to sing while the other one would go in the Wendy house and do a costume change. Wow. And, uh, it was really mental. People used to, it was when the Beastie Boys were in the tabloids for like people throwing beer cans and beer bottles at them. And people were doing that to us. And, uh, and uh, wow. swinging chairs at our heads, and we used to really sort of antagonise people, and we'd go on stage with air freshener and uh, <laughs> spray it, <laughs> spray it into the audience, kind of saying you smell, and uh, we very fun. Uh, and... yeah, <laughs> and uh, it was, um, yeah, and it was all kind of wigs and cod pieces and it was really good fun and 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 we just kind of steal beats off mantronics and things who we loved yeah and uh try and kind of yeah it was a, I was really into Alan Vega and yeah um, I interviewed um uh um oh Martin Rev
0: um from suicide that was oh god I'm such a fan of this amazing
1: yeah me too uh, I funnily enough I interviewed him too because I used to live in Bologna and they had him uh in Italy and they had him come and talk um well they they wanted because uh, I speak Italian so right. I was interviewing him and then translating the answers into Italian in this kind of cafe thing in Bologna. And then I hung out with him a bit and walked back with walked him back to his hotel. And uh, that's what he was doing, a solo show and I was um, doing a DJ set. And uh, he was great. His solo thing was great. too. He was doing this thing. Where he was just kind of swimming his arm up and down the keyboard. It was just set up with some <laughs> general MIDI drum kit. And he was <laughs> just and it was so brilliant. He was so his he just kind of stands there and stares, but it's so engaging and that I love him. And I, I saw them in uh, Camden Palace in 1985 or six, and uh, I kind of had an epiphany, you know, seeing wow. that and thinking, Yes, uh, no sweaty drummers that yeah. you don't you know, and and also around the same yeah. period, I saw Divine play there as well, and um, it was uh, amazing. Um, wow. So Um, tell
0: us about the kind of genesis of the rave scene, because, you know, obviously I was around at that point, but I wasn't involved in it. I knew a few people who were involved in putting raves on. mm -hmm. Uh, Just
1: tell us about your reminiscences of that period. Well, I'd started to hear the music on uh, London pirate radio stations. There was one called LWR. And I kind of heard a few house tunes. This must have been in 87. And I'd sit through kind of hours of kind of soul sludge, <laughs> waiting for someone to play a house tune. I think the first tune I heard was um, Rocking Down the House by Adonis. Right. And, uh, it was kind of I kind, you know, I love the Suicide and Alan Vega's first album and I and uh Daff and stuff and your early stuff. Oh thanks and mate. I was I was into I'll send the ten quid in the post. <laughs> <laughs> I was into um you know minimal electronic music and severed heads and I think this was a bit before Nick Sareb, or, or, but that kind of thing. And uh, and house music just sounded like that, but better. Mm. You know, it was just great. I loved Zig Zig Sputnik, which was a terrible thing to admit at the time. <laughs> and uh, And I go to their gigs often on my own because no one wanted to come. Uh, with you know, I think they were better than people gave them credit for. Well, they were better live. I, it's weird because I love Giorgio Moroder, but I me think too. he kind of overpolished it and they just kind of tried to put too many ideas onto it and live it was much more raw and, mm-hmm. just, you know, and... Without all the really clever, clever studio stuff, and it was just really, um, you know, it was just really amazing. And I, I, anyway, but it was it was really. They were like a um,
0: uh, to me. They, looking back on it now, they were like one of the earliest kind of postmodernist bands. They were like a kind of meta band, weren't they? Because yeah. they, were t- they were taking uh, kind of influencers from, you know, Japanese trash films and all sorts of stuff, and the multimedia thing, and the punk thing, and the pop thing, and it was like this giant mishmash of stuff. I mean, the songs were of variable quality, but it didn't matter. It
1: was was an experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Shoot It Up was a great song, and I remember um, I was working in... uh, Haze in Middlesex in a leaflet counting factory,
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's, a, that's the best I could right do
1: when I was 17. Uh, I wasn't really qualified for anything else, I'd been a window cleaner but I was scared of heights, so I was kind of the world's worst window cleaner <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I was counting <laughs> leaflets for Fiat cars and Radio One would be would be on, and I'd seen a couple of Sputnik gigs, and then they released Shoot It Up, and Simon Bates snapped it in half live on air, and uh, and I just thought, what a twat, you know? Yeah, really. And, uh, but it was very exciting for me, all that, and um, uh, but Zig Zig Sputnik, besides from the music, their actual sort of manifesto and mission statement was what Acid House was. Right. Like all this, you know, mobile phones and and kind of, you know, electronic, minimal electronic music and samples of everything. And that's what Acid House just did, but uh better really yeah, yeah um and uh apart from the look which i was a bit disappointed with the look but i i, I kind of had to tone myself right down to to kind of fit in i mean it, it's weird i didn't really feel like i fitted in with it all i was i started to buy the music um you know, by the odd 12 inch, like uh, Derek May, um, yeah, big in. And uh, well, there was like a four track EP and that had a big sticker on it saying Acid House, which it wasn't. It was Detroit techno, but it was, you know, the, uh, the, the shops and industry trying to cash in on it all as fast as possible. But the same Johnny Slut that I mentioned, who was my co singer in disco Dacord, him and his boyfriend invited me to Ibiza for a holiday in 1988. And it just so happened to coincide with, um, because I wasn't really out and about on the London club scene, apart from going to Camden Palace, which I actually lived opposite right. on Camden High Street, and I could get in for free, and there was great things to see, like, every now and then, like, Suicide and Divine. And um, I, I, um, I went to the opening night of Amnesia in 88, right and johnny and i managed to blag it in on the strength of having like interesting jackets and stuff (laughs) now you know it's probably a hundred quid to get in and go through you know computer checks and oh god id checks and everything but then it was quite um rustic uh the whole situation, it was an open air kind of stinker farmhouse kind of thing that had a few dance floors and bars inside and an amazing sound system. Um. Uh, and uh, we blagged it in and heard, I heard Acid House music played in a nightclub for the first time.
0: Right.
1: Um, and uh it wasn't only acid house it was super eclectic but there was a lot of acid house in thrown in there but it'd be like um that uh i've forgotten the name of the artist but hot hands actually it was hot hands but i think it was a dj pierre project And Alfredo would like mix that with, uh, think Aretha Franklin and it was all, it would be that. And then it would be Gypsy Kings and then it would be a bit more acid house. And it was just, it was just fantastic how he used to like mash it all up. And, uh, memories of that still, I still find inspiring Mm -hmm. today. And when I DJ, it's kind of, a bit i shoot myself in the foot for trying to be like alfredo in 1988 cuz people aren't so open to intellectualism yeah yeah they just they just want to hear it. some formulaic
0: yeah
1: thing i got really told off in vienna uh a few weeks ago by some young woman saying you know it, it's not constant enough and you're stuck in the 90s and i was like well i played one thing from the 90s which was like a very uh of of now like remix of it was like a track remix of frozen by madonna right and this girl was like go, well, you played Madonna frozen and it's it's quite a state-of-the-art thorough yeah, yeah. interpretation of it. And that was the and you know I played probably 80% of music from now that I've bought. Yeah. Um anyway. So. so 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 I anyway went to amnesia kind of serendipitously. Um on the invite of my friend Johnny Slut, who went on to actually in i in, in he had a club called Nag 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 in uh, the early two thousands. Yes, it's kind of the the London electro clash club, really, um, with a Sheffield reference. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, and. Uh, I DJ'd there quite a few times. That was great. That was really that was an amazing club that had the energy of the acid house clubs of the late eighties, actually, but in the early two thousands. And and you could play eclectic there. You know, I I would play the Associates and Mick right. Craftwork and Miss Kitten and techno and and people did appreciate that um i then, bet it is yeah it was um that was really good fun um so it tell doesn't us about, seem like 20 years ago oh yeah exactly i know mental. um like. tell us about you got signed to
0: mca right mm. and uh this is the birth of adamski as a brand i suppose yeah and um
1: what's the first thing that you put out uh, the first thing I put out was an en- energy NRG. Oh yeah, 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 it's a great record, by the way. Uh, thank you. But my, that that was um, talking of amnesia in nineteen eighty eight. You know, it was like it, I really, it really was like uh, being in paradise, kind of like almost literally because it was this beautiful open air club with the stars and the kind of tropical breeze yeah. the amazing kind of characters that were in there and the amazing music and there was kind of you know flower beds and fountains and stuff and it it, it and the following year the opening night of amnesia i was pinching myself but i was actually playing there plugging my kit into the dj console and playing and uh that's what i used to do but so from between uh june 88 and june 99 i got this N-Sonic sequencer my brother the one same one i was talking about earlier that you may or may not yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he uh, had introduced me to this guy called Jimmy Polo from Chicago, who'd come over to London. He's from the early house scene in Chicago, and I think he was a school friend of Adonis. And um, he ended up living in the bedsit next door to me, opposite the Camden Palace. We became really great mates. And he showed me how to use an Ensonic eight track uh, sequencer synth Hi. thing and program sounds. And uh, well, I say taught me to program sounds. I just play around with the sliders and the buttons until something sounded to my taste and I really didn't know what I was doing. But, um, and, uh, i bought my brother's 909 we used to use in discord DAC or copying mantronics beats um and i bought that and i loved the 909 from hearing you know derek may's stuff yeah and um i just you know by kind of chance really just started playing in the raves and people really took to what I was doing very, very fast. So eventually, um, Paul Oakenfold introduced me to, I played with him at a couple of these big raves. Like I literally went from playing to 30 people in my manager's restaurant (laughs) to playing to about 7000 people and a sunrise rave and it was a santa pod racetrack like this was all within weeks and wow. it was, i was literally just plugging into the console um you know stereo out of the 909 was it even stereo and 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 stereo out of my keyboard into the phonos and uh just playing and it that's just that's amazing so you,
0: you literally were performing live to a drum machine basically performing what sorry oh, sorry you were playing live keyboards to a drum machine
1: where was, was it uh synchronized yeah was, yeah, yeah it was synced yeah. up with the endsonic yeah. uh midi and uh so i'd made just make riffs in my bedroom basically um Make riffs, you know, on the eight track sequencer and then do kind of live mix downs. So, as bass, it was kind of like they build me at that sunrise as a spinning musician. And I quite liked that. And I, I was basically DJing, but with my own beats and right. mixing them up as I felt like, and then playing a bit on top of piano and um and that nrg riff just became kind of like my my fanfare sort of hello here i am sort of that 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 riff was um kind of from the brian eno kind of school of randomness where yeah. i literally put the sequence to I made that sound, which was a kind of uh, a mutated saxophone or trumpet or something with me not knowing what I was doing with the um, faders and LFO things and whatnot. And uh, and I just put the sequencer in to record, shut my eyes and just went...
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then... <laughs> looped it and built this track around it. And um, uh, the line was um, a preset bass sound in the end sonic but it, I loved that sound. It was like really, it reminded me of uh, Jean-Jacques Bunel sound. Right. Especially when I was playing it live through a big system. It just had this really, I said, thunky if that's a word not funky thunk thunk is that a word what uh thunk thunk funky thunk. yeah yeah <laughs> it was funky, <laughs> um and you know i i did you know as a little boy i was into punk rock and the stranglers who weren't strictly punk rock but I thought they were when I first saw them on Top of the Pops doing Go, Buddy, Go. Uh, and uh, and I thought they were, I thought, wow, that's so punk rock because I thought they it was Go, Bloody, Go. And I thought, oh. <laughs> Go, Bloody, Go, Bloody, Go. Go, Bloody, Go, Bloody, Go, Go. <laughs> yeah. But I loved his bass sound. Yeah. And, uh, Did and- you ever meet him? Uh no I haven't actually uh, yeah
0: we too we did a, a little bit of uh, supporting them back in the late 70s very nice people very right nice people yeah.
1: they he did a solo album too when I was a, must have been around the time I did stupid babies called Euroman Euroman Cometh right um uh and the the sleeve was him in front of the pompadour Pompidou? Right, Pompidou Centre. Centre, yeah, which looks so kind of space 1999. Yeah. Like yeah, I didn't yeah. know what it was. And he just looked so cool. And it's such a great album with drum machine and him playing bass. Yeah, and singing yeah. and, and, uh, great. Let's, let's, move, and, uh, let's
0: move on to talking about... Um, uh let's move on to talking about um your enormous hit uh which we all know uh killer and um i mean i remember uh, when it first came out thinking this really doesn't sound like anyone else I, I i was i found it really alluring because it wasn't strictly a dance record was it it was a pop record and of course seal's voice is just
1: I'm very flattered that you say that because I am a big admirer of your work and I'm not Thank you. saying it because we're having yeah. a chit-chat. I mean, really, really. Funnily enough, on Spotify at the moment, all I listen to really is like predominantly 50s rockabilly. I just <laughs> become re-obsessed with it and now kind of listening to it on little ipod things it sounds kind of weirdly futuristic because it sounds so otherworldly yeah in the context of listening to it on spotify and wandering around in london and it's sort of but um but on the playlist i have empire state human yeah and uh, a <laughs> black hit of space yes. in amongst all this rock release stuff wow and uh, and uh, i have had for a couple of months i've just been sort of revisiting your early early oh, work you. and and uh, we thought
0: we were electro punk
1: right we that's I how we saw that.
0: ourselves you
1: know oh god but um you did a, you did a rock and roll, didn't you? Yeah, and yeah. He's, he's just been released from prison. Oh yes, yeah. Fucking hell. Oh no. And oh, I, 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 I must admit, I've got some stories
0: about him, but none of them to do with sexual impropriety.
1: Oh, I have got one, but I won't say it on this uh, right. podcast. But yeah. I do know something really awful, not illegal, that right. he. Did with someone I know, but I won't go there. Yeah, probably best not go there. Yeah, it, um, but so, um,
0: let's go back to to um, killer killer.
1: Because I, so tell me how you met Seal first of all. Well, I had an MC sometimes called Daddy Chester, who lived round the corner from me. He, when I lived on Camden High Street. And uh, he was, like, a raster guy that did, like, Jamaican toasting, which he I got him involved in Disco Dacord right. sometimes because we'd become mates and we used to just, he'd come round to my bed sit and we listen to records and get stoned and listen to a lot of music. And then he'd come quite incongruously, Cause as i said we were sort of you know wigs and cod pieces and stuff and he'd come on and we had this rhythm that was like the um passio tone mt40 it oh, wasn't yeah. sampled off that but i had that keyboard we copied that um and that's my favorite baseline of all time actually i have to say <laughs> and uh apparently the scientists at casio had taken the riff from uh hang on hang on to yourself from ziggy stardust really oh yeah yeah. that um or uh, some say that and some say it's um eddie cochran uh come on everybody which yeah uh, well do 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 i mean zig zig sputnik
0: yeah
1: alan vega it could be like many many um i love things that go do 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 (laughs) do and uh and, um, the only things that go <laughs> <laughs> I could live if someone said you can only listen to two notes for the rest of your life I'd listen to <laughs> but, um I uh so we had this rhythm and you know there was this um slang tang um Wayne Smith Prince, Prince Wayne was this famous tune that i used to hear on john peel because i i had the mt40 and uh then uh i heard like a, a record on john peel like a sort of reggae thing and i was like jesus that's the mt40 someone's right. used that record that's quite inspiring and encouraging and um but anyway so daddy chester i sorry i'll go off on all these tangents but right. he uh he um used to come and sometimes turn up and do a discord Dackle gig and then when my adamski thing kicked off sometimes he would come and MC for me he was kind of he, he would just sometimes turn up in the middle of the set or not. So um, anyway, he uh, he was at Clapham Common at this, we used to, there would be this after hours kind of thing on Clapham Common on Sunday mornings after the big raves. A few people would congregate on Clapham Common and carry on taking drugs and waiting for the pub to open there the wind it's good and it was such good fun and it 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 was a couple of hundred people initially like there was this guy called mark m who had a massive sound system in his car which was like a ford fiesta or something but (laughs) the whole back of the car the whole boot was a sound system and we'd just be dancing around the car um But this soon sort of escalated into trucks and hot dog vans and stuff turning up on Clapham Common. And I didn't really want to go anymore. But Chester went and this guy, Seal, gave him a cassette and asked him to pass it on to me because he knew he was my MC because he... Been my MC at this sunrise event that I was talking about before. It doesn't connect, make sense. It might get a bit boring, but he seen Chester MCing for me at Sunrise Five Thousand, right. where he Seal had come just come back from touring bars in Thailand for six months, singing jazz funk. Also, he was in a jazz funk band right. called. Push um, that were on a um, acid jazz compilation album and bits and bobs that Giles Peterson put together, right. or Eddie Pillar maybe. Um, but anyway, every every single uh, interview I've
0: done recently, about three or four of them in the last five have mentioned
1: Eddie Pillar, who I know by the way, nice guy. Yeah, I saw him last at um, Ashley Beadle's wedding in Ramsgate and what Eddie Pillar and I have in common is we both unfortunately got the same manager who fleeced us, completely pawned us. He, In Eddie's case, he managed to get 150 artworks paintings or something off him and saying he was putting on an exhibition in hollywood and stole all his artwork Ooh. he set up a label in the states called acid jazz releasing acid jazz's catalog yeah, that's right. without eddie pillars permission or involvement and uh and uh every few years i'll bump into eddie pillar and we'll kind of commiserate and <laughs> I was all pay either of us will ever get any of our money back but yeah, yeah. any, anyway, this guy sold the rights to killer he got me to sign a uh give him power of attorney when what? i didn't even know what that was oh my god when i was in in uh, the first time I ever went to America and I, I was in in a hotel room in Hollywood and didn't know what, who anyone was or what anything was. And I think it was around the time that Sarah Gregory told me to boil my nose. So I, I'm sitting <laughs> in, in this hotel room um, in in Hollywood feeling completely alienated having smoked a very strong californian joint and then this guy got me to sign this no paragraphs and i basically oh. gave away killer in america no. when uh seal oh. redid it with trevor horn and had a big hit album there wouldn't would, would have been in my best interests not to have done that. But anyway. But you got, got signed to ZTT as well, didn't you? Pardon? You got signed to ZTT. Yeah, that was later. That right. was um, that was a bit, because basically I, back to Seal and meeting yeah. Seal, yeah. he'd given my, uh. actually by this time Daddy Chester was not, Only my MC. he was my flatmate. Right. Um, And he came back Sunday evening from this Clapham Common thing and was saying, with this cassette, going, wow, I met this amazing singer. You've got to listen to this. Um, He really wants to be your singer. But I wasn't looking for a singer. I was, you know, things were going... Amazingly well, uh, with me just playing instrumental music occasionally wow. with Daddy Chester, chatting a bit over the top here and there. And uh, I didn't feel the need for a singer. It was like, wow. Or if anything, I was going to kind of pluck up the courage or eventually be my own singer, yeah. um, which wouldn't and you think? work. Kind of. I mean, I was the co-singer in Disco Dacord, right. and then I, I missed. Uh, I uh, not. I unwisely tried to follow up Killer by singing an Elvis song <laughs> over one of my beats. Makes perfect uh, sense. Myself. Pardon. Makes perfect sense. But yeah, nothing I've ever done has made sense or had any rhyme or reason or any <laughs> business acumen or astuteness a or. Uh, it's just raw talent, mate. Sense. No, I mean, it it did become a hit, but only off off the back of um because Killer had just been such a big hit. I think people just went and trustingly bought it cuz they thought it would be like killer <laughs> but i think i just about 90% of my uh audience i just just oh, okay. <laughs> got rid there you of. go but anyway it was kind of me trying to be like my idol alan vega who you know sang Kind of Elvisy over simple electronic repetitive beats, as the government started calling. Right, it. right, right. Uh, And I thought, oh, that's what I want to do, and um, it didn't work. Now I'm, I'm very proud of myself for having done that. But at the time, yeah, I yeah, yeah, felt yeah. the hatred of my like following which was the rave scene who really did not want to hear an Elvis tune <laughs> <a very> cheesy <laughs> house beat but anyway it seemed like a good idea at the time because I was taking copious amounts of cocaine which makes you think that you can do whatever you want I suppose yeah, yeah. like at least I didn't do a twenty-minute guitar solo, yeah. which is what most people end up doing when they take copious amounts of cocaine. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, back to Seal. So yeah. I was like, "Yes, thanks," but I'm not looking for a singer. But then I ended up um, kind of frequenting the same places as Seal. My favourite club in London at the time was called Solaris. And that was also, it was a Sunday evening event. And it was also, well, I say my favourite, there was another one on Sunday evenings called Confusion as well that I started going to in 88 with Jimmy Polo, the aforementioned Chicago house dude who ended up living in the adjoining bedsit, teaching me N-Sonic, blah, blah, blah. And, um, well, that then Jimmy Poe, Adonis would be coming round to see Jimmy when he was in London, and he'd be standing in my bedsit playing on my N-Sonic, and it was, like, as if the same as if, like, Little Richard had come around <laughs> It was just, like it was all completely surreal and trippy for me, like these weird turns of events that just happened to happen to me. And, uh, you know, Adonis giving me tips and stuff. And this was all within a year of hearing Adonis on the radio and, him sounding like some kind of god-like, you know, alien being with, you know, the solution of life itself, and oh my God. it was just mental. It was just really mental. That, um, so I then I befriended Seal. We were hanging out, and he was going, you know, I should be your singer, and I was like. Yes, I mean I heard your cassette. You your voice is amazing. Um uh why don't you just come round the studio and you know it was all a bit like okay, whatever, you know, everyone was it was uh I'm sure it wasn't like punk, you know, when people were just forming bands and yeah. Yeah. Getting together with people and uh but there was this kind of spirit of creative
0: yeah, collaboration and, and yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean it was um it it wasn't it wasn't so much, I guess, because people were just trying to be DJs and I, prom- I think
0: I'm I, I sorry to
1: sorry to interrupt,
0: but um mm. I think because I've interviewed a lot of people from this period of time now and uh, I think a lot of it was engendered by the fact that for the really for the first time ever, people could be as freely experimental as they wanted at home. They didn't have to go into a recording studio anymore. yeah And so people like yourself and people like a lot of other DJ stroke creators, stroke songwriters. Would just try different things all the time, different singers, collaborating with different songwriters, and that's kind of stayed till the current day. To be honest, uh, mm-hmm. this is the now the default setting, I think. Whereas before, you used to have to book a studio to do demos or
1: rehearse yeah. in someone's garage or whatever it was. You yeah. Know? Well, I um, the thing is that it it's like now it's like so what like as well. You know, when I sent the demo cassette to Fast Product when I was 11, that took some doing and then not expecting a reply but waiting for weeks and weeks to have a letter sent back to me and then putting this tune out. Like, if you said that to an 11-year-old now, they're like, yes, so what, I could just make a tune and it could be go viral on YouTube around the world in like within a morning, you know, but then it was like really a big deal to get something on vinyl. It was like exciting. I'm surprised I didn't like actually wet myself. Like (laughs) it was like incredible like incredibly exciting and 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 quite an undertaking for an 11 year old boy to i guess to for me to know about fast product that was cuz i would kind of listen to john peel under my pillow yeah, you know, yeah my little transistor radio like i'd fall asleep to john peel i probably couldn't yeah, manage the first half hour but I knew about fast product records and I thought because they had this band called the Prats that were sort of 14 and 15 Scottish group. I thought, Oh, well, if they got 14 year olds, then they might accept an 11 year old (laughs) and a five year old. Anyway, it was quite amazing then, but no big deal now. And then with the rave thing, I could make a tune on my N-Sonic and um 909 and I could kind of write a, write it and sort of put put it together and then go and try it out that night in a club through through What they tell me, the sound crew, was actually Motorhead's sound system. Wow. Just go and play what I put together in my bedsit, plug into the DJ uh, mixer and try it out to 5,000 people. That's mad, isn't it? That was was amazing too. But now, of course, you could make a tune and, you know, mix it, master it and... Yeah. Put, to have it out globally released, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. to however many people you right. might listen to it on your social media or whatever, or put it on Bandcamp and have it available for purchase. And of course, in those days, these things weren't possible. They weren't so possible. Yeah. Okay, so
0: I'm aware that we're running out of time here, so I'm just okay. going to push things on a bit. Um, Sonny Erickson is your kind of rockabilly, psychabilly
1: identity. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So <laughs> I've why, got to, why Sonny Erickson? Well, it was uh, I had the concept of doing a rockabilly, again, back to my fandom of Alan Vega. I mean, he's my all-time favourite singer. Right. Right. my all-time favourite album is Alan Vega's first solo album, which I actually heard before I heard Suicide because I, when I was 15, I was into the cramps and meteors yeah. and stuff, and I was into Psychobilly um, as a 15-year-old. You know, when I was yeah, at, yeah. at secondary school, every six weeks there was some new exciting thing and i kind of would kind of i kind of got into all of them whether it would be you know electro pop or street sounds electro yeah. Yeah. or new romantics or the rockabilly revival was very exciting for me too and and uh and uh but and so this this I had, I used to hang around with this 40 year old, which nothing untoward. It was just my connections with the, in my small town, the local pop smoking, magic mushroom picking. (laughs) And there was this old guy, this, he's called, uh, Fitz, who, who was an old hippie basically. And apparently in the 60s and 70s he used to paint himself green and one. as you do but uh he used to give make me cassettes and he knew i was into uh the cramps and stuff and he knew i was into drum machines so he put alan vega on one side of this cassette he made for me and uh and i just loved it and it was it was it was really my introduction to looped electronic music more so than uh you know uh, american afro Afro afro-american music because apart from what was in the charts that wasn't available to me in my small town in the new forest right You you just you didn't we didn't have pirate radio or no one was really into that, you know. Uh, so apart uh, from, you know, what was in the charts, Michael Jackson and stuff. Um, I guess Malcolm McLaren, Buffalo yeah. Girls, and it, it was little bits and bobs. But um that was really my introduction, and it's just still my favourite thing. I've never ever got bored of, jukebox babe and that album, and uh, so. I've just kind of gone full circle. <laughs>
0: and you did Black I- Star Acid recently, didn't you? Sorry? Black Star Acid?
1: Oh yeah, that was I just you I know, like that. That I uh, thought was really cool actually. Thank you. Yeah, I um I actually yeah, I just isolate Elvis vocals off um we you know with this uh Isotope RX8 yes. software, this kind of black magic weird thing how it does it god knows Um, yeah just take vocals off things so during the lockdown i was kind of just taking elvis and putting it on i i got really back into acid house again during the lockdown it just seemed the sound of acid old and new like youngsters acid that you know, people that weren't even born when I was first going to acid house clubs—they're um, making there's some great music made by yeah. these youngsters—and um, uh, I just got really back into acid house and just started putting Elvis over acid for something to do. I and mean, it definitely, definitely works. I have to say. Right, I've got to—we've got to pull it to a close. Okay. Um, and I just quickly I, say that that's yeah. not Sonny Erickson, but it's a sort of that sort of thing. But it's me singing, and as I've matured, I'm not singing Elvis like I did on top of the pops 1990 when I lost, oh. lost my fan base. Um, I can actually kind of sing rockabilly, and um, is that you singing? No, that was Elvis. That's Elvis, but uh, yeah. But no, but and that's Adamski, but it's just yeah. kind of yeah. ties in. But I am I am Sonny E. Uh, I've dropped the Rickson right. uh, on the advice of youth who's going to release my next thing. Oh, correct. Yeah. He started a-, a label with Alan McGee, right? Asian youth and, uh, I'm putting out a a sunny e seven inch, which is a kind of um, tribute to Lux Interior, who used of the cramps, who used to be called Vitvop. I I discovered before he was called Lux Interior, his his legal name was Vitvop on his passport. Just the back
0: door. Very
1: deft. All right, I've got I've got a song, come back Vop. Anyway, Thank it's coming well. out on in cool. June on Creation Youth. Can't wait for that. That's it's brilliant. So yeah, like, I asked, up. sorry, carry on. Okay, if if the if the interview has to end, or do you, do you need to go? Because I've just was going to quickly. I, I, say, I actually, I've got another interview I've got to do in a in a couple of minutes. So. Martin, I'll send you come back VipFop if you could just use a couple of snippets in That's this right. it would be all amazing. right I will do great absolutely not to share because it's not it's only mastered by myself who doesn't really know what I'm doing but <laughs> another isotope thing where you just put it through some preset and hope for yeah, the yeah, yeah. So well it all do the sounds thing. All, we all
0: right
1: do the same <laughs> I do that. Could, I'll do that you know you could add a l- A a, a verse and a chorus here and there, or whatever. Yeah. Great.
0: All right, man. So I ask everybody the same questions every week, barring a couple of different ones for different people. They kind of smash its type questions. So, what's your favorite book? My favorite book.
1: Um, uh, God. You can pass if you want. Let me think. My favourite author is called James Lee Burke, and he's an American guy that writes these sort of detective stories set in, like, in and around New Orleans, Louisiana, and I just love his prose and way of writing and right. find endless inspiration from him. Um mm-hmm. He's my favorite. So my favorite book would probably have to be one of his. Cool. Uh, What's your favorite film? My favorite film is Pee-Wee Herman's Big Adventure. Oh, I love that film
0: so much. Yeah, isn't it? I, I watched that with my kids when they were young and we
1: I must have watched it. 25 30 times me too it's my most watched film and then i got peewee's playhouse i got yes Beaver, but i hadn't i didn't see that till about eight nine ten years ago when my younger daughter was a little kid and i just and Lawrence lauren's playhouse with her and yeah. then her mum said she only says she likes it because she wants to make you oh, happy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it is I, fucking weird. I, he, like... Yeah. Have, did you see his um his sort of comeback film? Mm, what was it called? Oh, I can't remember, but it was kind of recent. So oh. it, it's him now sort of doing Pee Wee. It's really weird. It's, it's not really anywhere near as good, but it's sort of good. And Pee Wee's Beak Top Adventure, which is from back then. Yeah, that's pretty good, but not as good. No, no, nothing comes close to Pee Wee's Beak Adventure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love that. It was Danny Elfman's first score as well. It was was genius. Danny Elfman. Tim Burton's first movie.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay, what's your favorite TV show? I don't watch a lot of TV,
1: but. Um, Could be one from the past, and not have to be current. Well, I did. Uh, I did like. I liked all the. I liked the tube, and I liked yeah. old Grey Whistle Test, and yeah, okay. uh, that'll do. I'm just trying to think of something that's not a music related thing. The only, really, I only, I haven't got any interests outside pop culture. Right, right. <laughs> On the, like You're you get ashamed of that. That's a good thing. You get musicians. Oh yeah, I love snowboarding and I love motorbikes and stuff. And <laughs> I haven't. I, I only
0: like music. Really, oh, to be <laughs> honest. that's so sweet. Um, if you'd not been a musician, what alternative career do you think you might might have ended up doing?
1: Well, not window cleaning, <laughs> um, or or rock climber. <laughs> no uh i a postman because i'm not qualified i left school when i was 15 um with a grade c english and a grade c ro level which the teacher helped me cheat with um i i would say i'm kind of artistic but not in the painting pictures of trees and churches. Yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. Um, but um uh, uh yeah fair enough. Um Ocean. yeah do you have it yeah do you have any unfulfilled ambitions? Uh to do I'd like to curate but and compose for one of those kind of Netflix Disney Channel sort of drama series. Oh, that'd be good. Trent Reznor does, did for um, Quentin Tarantino, sort of find music, but also write half of it. Like the You'd be good at that. I'd love to do that. Yeah. And that's That's, what I'm going to ask Bob last. Yeah. Oh, you you should. I was 11. (laughs) You should, actually. Um, It's worth a shot. The final question, what's your favourite synth? Mm. Well, to my fucking chagrin, I sold it. It oh. it was the Roland System one hundred. Oh my god, which, that's that's my favorite too. I I loved it, but I sold it about five years ago because it just kept needing repair and I'd have to ship it off to like Devon or yeah, yeah. Herefordshire to get it fixed time and time again and it was i felt having it in my damp basement
0: yeah it probably was because i've got it one. was just and it's fine it's in my studio it's fine
1: i sold it kind of bit by bit was yeah. auctioned off and and mm. i kind of regret it i sort of do and i don't because i maxed it out doing things and i have like all this stuff I recorded onto CDR directly onto CDR because I didn't know about 20 years ago I didn't yet know how to record into Logic yeah yeah yeah. I was recording onto CDR uh (laughs) without it being synced up so it was with its own sequencer kind of speeding up and slowing down but hours and hours yeah. a stack of CDRs of just experimenting. Yeah. Now I kind of put the CDR into a CD player with the loop function and randomly find things that fit my endless rockabilly loops <laughs> and, and find things that fit and actually having the limitation of going right I'm going to play a bass line that has yeah. to go yeah. like this. Yeah. It's sort of like my experiment, which became energy uh, of shutting my eyes and playing a riff. Yeah, It's a bit like that. Like yeah. Yeah. some things, actually, that Black Star acid, the do yeah, like that. that. It's yeah. from my. It's from. It sounds a bit like work, so yeah, yeah, they must music. add one to you. Did you use that for? Humanity, I use it all right? the
0: time. I, I I just record it into into Logic as a um, freestyle, and then I just manipulate it within Logic to fit whatever I want. Oh,
1: that's what i was doing.
0: Well, that was adam very very charming guy i know the um <laughs> the interview finished quite abruptly that's because his battery ran out so it wasn't me being rude i assure you yeah we had a good old chinwag and a very nice guy just one of these people i suppose it's like the start of the whole idea of having kind of bedroom djs becoming superstars and it really, in an emancipated kind of way, it's incredible that it allows people like that who really haven't got a great deal of, uh, uh, of, of, as he admits himself, a great deal of business acumen or anything, but have got raw talent to be able to get their stuff out to the general public and it be very successful. It's a very happy set of circumstances. Anyway, it's great. How is everyone? Don't forget to email me electronicallymartin at gmail.com if you have any comments. Sign up to my Patreon if you can. Patreon.com stroke electronically hours. I've got another fantastic guest for you next week. I'll see you next week. Bye.